0: Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. It's Travers Weekend here in the Capital Region, and of course, Mike McGadden will join me to talk about that in Week 7. Of at the track with Mac. We'll also look back at uh, last week's Alabama, and uh, it was an interesting uh, result out of the Alabama Stakes. So we'll talk about that. Of course, the Travers' uh, Forte is the morning line favorite, and a uh, great discussion I had, with Mike, about that. So we'll have, we did two segments on the horse racing, so I hope you, uh, you will enjoy that. Uh, after that, uh, we're going to uh, remember Rick Jenner at the longtime Buffalo Sabres broadcaster. Great uh, calls, especially uh, May Day, May Day, when uh, Brad May scored the uh, game-winning goal, which uh, ended up sweeping the Boston Bruins out of the Stanley Cup playoffs in the Adams Division semifinal. Uh, Joe Yerdun of uh, Noted uh, Hockey will join me to uh, discuss that. And uh, Joe and I had a great conversation on that as well. So uh, let's take a break, and uh, Mike Gatton comes up uh, for his first of two segments here on the Parting Shots podcast.
1: High school sports don't just happen. There's a ton of work that goes into every single athletic event.
0: And we have our school's athletic director to thank for a lot of it. Thank you.
1: For scheduling officials so I can always play the game I love.
0: For ordering quality athletic equipment so I can stay safe on the field.
1: For mentoring my coaches so they can be the best role models for me.
2: For coordinating transportation so I can get focused for the big game.
1: For helping us develop character and learn lessons that will benefit us for the rest of our lives.
2: Thank you to our AD for always creating a positive experience for us. We'll never forget it. From all of us at the NIAAA, thank you to every athletic administrator in New York for all you do to enrich the lives of your students. It does not go unnoticed. This message presented by the NIAAA, the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association.
0: Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google App Stores.
2: Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Shenandoah Breer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott.
0: Welcome back to the podcast, and it's now time once again for our, our track segment with Mike McGadden at the track with Mac as we get set for the big weekend of the meet, the Travers uh, weekend, and Mike, uh, a lot of excitement going on up there, huh?
2: Yeah, pretty good field of seven. I mean, it's a little on the short side, but um, but it's a really, really ultra-competitive field and, and uh, should be some pretty good entertainment on Saturday.
0: Yeah, we'll take a look at that a little, a little bit, but let's look back at last Saturday's Alabama And the uh, three-year-old Philly division, nothing got solved as Chad Brown's trained uh, randomized, got to the front, stayed there, and uh, took down West Paint, uh, who finished second. So how surprising was that result?
2: Um, The horse is pretty good randomized, but what was a little surprising was that she was able to get out to a comfortable lead by herself with nobody else really pressuring her early, and then she had enough gas at the end to hang on. You know, wet paint ran really well but uh you know the setup for randomized was so favorable to her you know front end uh, style that uh, wet paint just couldn't quite get there um it, you've referred to the three-year-old philly dirt division right now um you know the alabama was kind of going to looking like it was going to be a, a pivot point for that division and really it's it's pretty wide open still i mean wet paint i think is probably the best of the bunch but she's got to win too um and then pretty mischievous is still out there she won um uh she won the test by default uh earlier in the meet and um so i don't know if they're going to try to stretch her out in distance again um so i was kind of thinking you know if wet paint wins this thing it's pretty much her division you would think it was locked up uh, with just like the the quotillion at parks in late September is the one big dirt race that's restricted to three year old fillies, and then it's on to the Breeders' Cup Distaff where they'll have to run against older horses. Which uh, we've got some pretty good ones in that category running on Friday this week here. Um, so nothing got solved, um, you know, randomized it's a big win for her but she's really she's only won three races in her career the alabama the wilton at a mile earlier in the meet. boy that's an angle you don't see very often wilton the alabama double yeah. um and and she won a maiden race so she's only won three races one of them's the alabama so you can't really put her on top um so i don't know what the heck's going to happen in that division but uh alabama didn't do us any favors
0: yeah. Well, as we mentioned, Travers Weekend is here. Uh, of course, it features a variety of undercard uh, highlights, including the Grade One Personal Ensign on Friday. They got four other Grade Ones on Saturday the Ballerina, Forgo, Sword Dancer, and Alan Jerkers. Where do you want to start?
2: Uh, let's start with the Personal Ensign on Friday because it's just a tremendous matchup, and it kind of uh, brings a little bit of the theme of the whole weekend, which, and, you know, I'm going to write an undercard advance for Saturday's paper. And I, I'm already thinking my lead is going to be, um, you know, they held a horse racing meet and a boxing cart <laughs> broke out because uh, a lot of the big races, uh, including uh, Friday's personal ensign, I, they're more like head-to-head matchups against two really good horses than, you know, really, you know, the fields are going to be kind of on the small side. They got six for the personal ensign uh, on, on Friday, which isn't terrible. But the, the, the big focus in that race is going to be the big matchup between uh, Nest, uh, the three-year-old Philly champion last year, and Um They haven't really run against each other very many times, mostly because... Nest was confined to the three year old division last year while while Clarier was butting heads with Nest's stablemate Malathot. Um but they're they're clearly the top two in the older Philly and Mayor Division on the dirt this year. Um most recently they ran against each other in the V at saratoga and ness won one by two and a quarter lengths to clearly establish herself as the favorite for the personal Ensign. and sure enough she's four to five on the line and clarier is five to two but don't sleep on clarier either because while ness was kind of um getting her act together physically during this season and it really hadn't raced until the V earlier in the meet clarier has been been uh you know winning two grade one races at Oaklawn park or i'm sorry take that back she won the apple blossom at Oaklawn Oak park and then won the grade one ogden phipps at belmont park on belmont stakes day so she's really been having a busy and very successful season but if recency is what you're going to go by then nest uh, clearly is the favorite in the personal ensign but you know most of the focus is going to be on those two butting heads against each other um secret oath is in there too and you know, she's kind of an interesting horse. You know, for, there was a while there, halfway through last year, where she was considered the three-year-old Philly division um, the, the leader. And then um, she finished fifth in the Breeders' Cup this half and, and she won she actually beat clary earlier this season at oakland park in the azari but since then she was second by a neck in the apple blossom and fifth in the ogden phipps and then she did not run in the shoe v against nest and claire um so she's kind of a little bit of an x factor but she's she's also kind of appears to be a notch below those two right now so really, really looking forward to nest and Clarier. um you know i'm leaning toward nest just cause she ran so well um last time in the UV, and she's clearly on fresh legs as well.
0: Yeah, well, let's look at Saturday's races, uh, the other undercard for the Travers. Let's start with the Ballerina.
2: Yeah, thankfully, Naira, you know, for a while there, they were stacking all of these races on Travers Saturday, so you'd have the personal ensign on that card, and you'd have the Boston Spa on that card. They're running that on Thursday this week. Thankfully, they spread them out a little bit more. Um, but the Ballerina is, again, another one of these boxing matchup-type races where it's Echo Zulu against Goodnight Olive and uh, in, in the, the older Philly and Mare sprint race, the ballerina, Um Goodnight Olive kind of put herself on the map last year when she uh, won this race coming off of a, um, you know, an allowance win where they were trying to get her in a stakes race last year and it didn't fill or something screwed up happened. And she wound up in an allowance race, which she was still eligible for. And then uh, came into the uh, ballerina last year. Um, Almost six to one was not the favorite. She won by two and three quarters lengths to really stamp herself, and then came back and won the Philly Breeders Cup Philly Mare Sprint, also to to uh, win the Eclipse Award in that division in the Philly Sprint. Um, This year, uh, she's coming off a win by a neck in the uh, the Better Roses at Belmont Park. Uh, Meanwhile, Echo Zulu is is uh, the clear. Favor of the division after she won the honorable miss here by seven and a quarter, whopping lengths, and got a 112 fire speed figure uh, back on July 26th at Saratoga. So she's the one to beat. Um, she also won. She was second to Goodnight Olive in the Breers' Cup Philly Mare Sprint last year at Keeneland, um, but this year she's won two straight by big open lengths and she, and she's the one to beat in the Ballerina. arena but again, it's one of these boxing match things where it's in this corner Echo Zulu and, and in that corner uh, Goodnight Night Olive yep. so we're looking forward to that matchup
0: How about the Forgo?
2: Forgo um, that one is, that. that's another one here <laughs> we <call it> go again <laughs> Um, and the two biggies are Lee Power, um, you know, who won the Eclipse Award last year for male sprinter after winning the Breeders' Cup by a length and a quarter. And he's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight that he's won going back to a nine-length maiden win at Churchill Downs in June of last year. So um, he's clearly the one to beat, but he's got a clear um, challenger in Gunite also Um who uh, was second in the uh, Alan Jerkins at Saratoga last year. Um, this year he has done little wrong. Uh, he did race against uh, elite power in Saudi Arabia back in February and, and was beaten, finished second by three and a quarter lengths. Um, he stayed over there and finished third by half a length in the in the Dubai Golden Shaheen in, in uh, Dubai, won the Arist- Aristides at Churchill in June, and then was second by a head to Gun. Uh, to elite power and the the uh, Alfred G Bat- Vanderbilt earlier in the meet, so but only by a head. So this is again, this is in this corner elite power and in this corner gunite. Uh, we're expecting a short field for the forego, but it, as long as those two are in there, it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah,
0: let's move on to the sword dancer. How huh? are we looking there?
2: Uh, again, kind okay, of a short field um, right now, um, and, and these races aren't drawn yet. They that'll be later this afternoon on Wednesday, but um, so I don't know exactly who's going to be there. But we know Channel Maker is pointing toward this race, and uh, he's just a remarkable nine-year-old um, who's raced fifty-four times in his career. He's coming off a win in the Grade Two Bowling Green at Saratoga. Uh, this guy just keeps. Keeps coming and coming and coming. So I'm not 100% sure who he's going to be butting heads with, but just his presence in that race makes it uh, interesting by itself.
0: And finally, the uh, final undercard of the Travers, the Allen Jerkins.
2: In this corner from <laughs> the, the barn of Bob Baffert, we have Arabian Lion. In the opposing corner, we from the barn of. Bob Baffert, we have Fort Bragg, He's, he brought two horses, he brought three horses here, we'll talk about National Treasure a little later in the Travers, but the other two he brought are the, the two um, big guns in the uh, Allen Jerkins, Arabian Lion, I've seen him run twice this year in the Sir Barton on Preakness Day, he won by four lengths, and then again in the grade one Woody Stevens on Belmont Stakes Day, and he won by a length and a quarter over Drew's Gold. Um, Fort Bragg is kind of playing catch up with his stable mate a little bit, but man, he banged a huge uh, 106 buyer speed figure in winning the, the one mile Dwyer um, at Belmont Park on July 1st. Um, so don't sleep on him either. I mean, Arabian Lion is the clear favorite and the leader in the male three year old sprint division, but um. Uh, Baffert didn't bring Fort Bragg out here just to run, you know, ten lengths behind Arabian Lions. So, uh, so that, that's another one of those in this corner races, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, Arabian Lion is really, really good, and uh, um, after he won the uh, Sir Barton. Which is a sprint, of course. Actually, to mile and sixteenth, he said, uh, "Geez, maybe I should have thrown him in the Preakness instead." But then, instead of stretching him out to the Belmont, uh, to a mile and a half on Belmont Day, he, you know, he cut back to a seven furlongs in the Woody Stevens, and he'll run seven furlongs again in the Allen Jerkins on Saturday.
0: So all we need now is just Bob Arum and Don King to promote these uh, boxing horse races. <laughs> Don <laughs> King. <laughs> well, let's take a break. We'll talk about the Travers uh, coming up here on the okay. podcast. is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of Saratoga Racecourse, the Daily Gazette. At the track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Matt Donato, Gene Kirshner, Jeff Carl, and Naira Betts. You will also get Mike McAdams' takes on the races. There are direct links to Naira Betts. You can find At the Track online at dailygazette.com category at the track. Hi, this is Union College Athletic Director Jim McLaughlin. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Shot. Welcome back to the podcast. Mike McAdam joining me here on the uh, At the Track with Max segment as part of the Parting Shots Podcast. All right, the big race, Travers Saturday It'll be on Fox uh, Television. Uh, on Saturday. Uh, I think coverage gets underway at 3 o'clock. Uh, yep. Locally, it'll be on Fox 23. Uh, interesting twist to this uh, to this race, Mac, as uh, it will mark just the fourth time in history that three dis- distinct winners of the Triple Crown races will meet in the Travers, and only seven horses are entered. But he, It's a really interesting and competitive race uh, since, uh, besides the Derby, Pregnus, and Belmont winners, the field includes uh, the 2022 Eclipse Award winner uh, Forte, who's also the favorite.
2: Right. Off his Jim Dandy win. And um, I actually wrote about this angle um, in 2017, which is the last time we had the three, you know, the three triple distinct, the triple crown leg winners uh running and coming back and running against each other in the traverse. first time this happened was nineteen eighteen. Then in nineteen eighty two, um a horse named Runaway Groom beat Gato del Sol, Aloma's ruler and conquistador Cielo. And Runaway Groom was interesting to us and the reason I wrote about it in uh what the heck year was that? Um seventeen. Um was because Runaway Groom was owned by a Schenectady native named uh um, Albert Coppola, who was also a breeder, and I was digging up my story that I read that year, and he was watching the race from the, the ground floor of the grandstand or the clubhouse and was standing up on his chair, trying to. it was a rainy day, he was trying to figure out where his gray horse was, and he saw a gray horse go by, and he thought it might have been got to Del Sol. He couldn't tell, so he stood up on the table so he could get an even better look, and sure enough, it was his horse beating the three uh, Triple Crown winners. Happened again in 2017, and again, the three got beat. Uh, It was always Dreaming, Cloud Computing, and Taprit were in the Travers, and none of them finished better than fourth as uh, West Coast for Bob Baffert wound up winning that year. So this year, it happens again for the fourth time in history. Um, You know, We've got the Derby winner, Mage, We've got the Preakness winner, National Treasure, and we've got the Belmont winner, Archangelo, and none of them are even the favorite, because Forte, um, is kind of, everybody's been, he's sort of been the de facto leader of the three-year-old male dirt division all season, he just has to, like, kind of put it, put some things together to, to validate that, which he did in the Jim Dandy, it was a controversial Jim Dandy, because, um, um, there was some contact between him and Saudi crown and there was a kind of an inquiry and, and they, they left Forte up as the winner by a nose over Saudi crown. And of course, a lot of people on Twitter, you know, blew up their heads blew up over that because especially cause I read Ortiz was on Forte. Um, and he's known for, for being a, he's not afraid of con- swapping paint out there. And you know, a lot of people hold that against him. Um, so, but fourth is a deser- deserving favorite. He really has done nothing wrong, um, except finished second in the Belmont, Arcangelo. Um, you know, you go back to the hopeful at Saratoga last year, Grade One on closing day, and he won that by three lengths, and, and then. You know, he was the Derby favorite, scratched the morning of the Derby. Um, and then still, you know, we've covered this ground already. Um, and then he missed the Preakness two weeks later because he was still on the vet list off that little injury that he had uh, on Derby Day, uh, which opened the door for National Treasure to win the Preakness. And then our, our, then, then Archangelo kind of comes out of the woodwork. Uh, Peter Pan winner at Belmont. He wins, he wins the Belmont Stakes on June 10th. So all of them are here together running, but Forte's the the, the favorite in this race. I'll just read the, the field off. Forte is in the one hole, and you got Arcangelo in the two, um, Tapitrice, Mage, National Treasure, Disarm, and Scotland. And Scotland's kind of the X factor in here because um, he, he's relatively lightly raced. Compared to the rest of these, he did not run not only did he not run in any of the triple crown races, he's not has not graded stakes yet. But he was really impressive winning on the front end in the curl and here on July 21st, by three and a quarter lengths, um, over a horse named Il Miracolo, who was um, kind of pointing toward the Travers and instead ran in the Smarty Jones last week at Parks down near Philadelphia and, and wound up winning that. Which a lot of people are thinking that might suggest that Scotland's pretty good. Um, but again, he hasn't, not only has he not raced uh in a graded stakes yet but he hasn't raced longer than a mile and an eighth which is what he did in the uh, curling at saratoga on july 21st so he's kind of an x-factor the only problem with you know the only question mark with him is um because he won that race on the front end um is he going to be able to get away with that same trip in the Travers with national treasure in there who like all bob baffert's dirt horses that um You know like to get to the front and see who can come catch me um which is how he won the preakness certainly um so just the fact that um scotland's a little bit of an x-factor in the way he likes to run and it's it's similar to how national treasure runs on the front end we're kind of the, the the thinking by a lot of people right now is that they'll cancel each other out or wear each other out pressure each other enough to set it up for for somebody to kind of close into the to the wire um yeah at this point i'm not sure who that's gonna be to tell you the truth i'm I'm leaning to i'm sure your next question is well who's my pick and right now i don't have i haven't solidified that but i'm kind of leaning toward archangelo i think the setup is going to be similar um to the Belmont perhaps, and and he'll get the jump on people and, and we'll be close enough. It's interesting, Javier Castellano is on Archangelo, and he also rode Mage to victory in the Kentucky Derby. And so there was a little question of which one he was going to ride in the Travers. And the Mage Camp kind of took the decision out of his hands and said, well, we're, we're going to give Luis Saez the mount in the Travers because they were kind of pressuring Javier to make up his mind. And he said, well, can you give me one more week? And, and they, you know, it's all good. They're all friends. Um Uh, but it was kind of interesting that I know a lot of people are going to read into it that Javier jumped on picked Arcangelo, uh, because he thinks he's has a better chance than Mage and the Traverse. But really that that decision was kind of taken out of his hands behind the scenes. So, uh, I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, but a real good field of seven you got the three triple crown winners it doesn't happen that often i mean we get you'll get one or two every in any given year you know they call for a long time they called the Travers the fourth jewel of the triple crown but really you know um it wouldn't necessarily draw all winners of the the first three triple crown you know the three triple crown races and this year it they did, and all three of them have a good chance, and a couple others have a good chance too.
0: Yeah, uh, so people can wait to see your pick online on Friday. Yeah, like <laughs> in the print edition on Saturday, but I gotta, they're
1: gonna uh, have to wait.
0: Yeah, I can <laughs> also tell you, I, I know where Park's uh, track is. It used to be called Philadelphia Park when I was growing.
2: Correct. Yeah, I've been down there a couple of times for the Pennsylvania Derby. Maybe, maybe have to go down there again this year. We'll yeah.
0: see. Yeah, been sailing Pennsylvania on Street Road. I, I know. Correct. I know exactly where it's, where it's at, man. That's, a good, that's,
2: that's why, personally why I brought it up, because I figured you'd get a kick out of that.
0: That's about 10, 15 minutes from my house, so where I grew up.
2: So, <laughs> nice. uh,
0: Let me ask you about the, uh, the uh, Forte's in the one hole, Archangels in the two hole. Is that a concern at all for
2: the- no no it isn't that's a really good question it w- might be a concern if there were like 10 or 11 horses in the field but because the main track the main dirt track at saratoga is a mile and an eighth and they, this race the travers is running a mile and a quarter that means they have to put the starting gate all the way up to the top of the stretch and you know that was kind of one of the questions at the draw on tuesday and because it's a seven horse field the post position isn't really going to be, shouldn't be a factor unless one of the jockeys just does something dumb. And these guys are all really, really good, you know, the best in the country. So I'm not expecting any mistakes out of the starting gate. You need to break well. I mean, that's a pretty standard uh, condition of any, any big race like this that you're trying to win, but there's so much, uh, they get the whole home stretch to, to sort it out. And um, so if, if you, If you're a jockey coming out of there and you break okay and you can't figure out a a good place to position your horse going into the first turn, I mean, you really screwed up pretty badly. Um, So just the the shortness of the field, there shouldn't be any excuse, let's put it that way, as far as your post position. You can't use post position as an excuse. Uh, I I don't expect anybody to even try.
0: We can follow Mike's coverage on Traverse Day on... (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me, X, not Twitter anymore. Unfortunately, uh, it's,
2: it's still, I still make that mistake.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's no. stupid. Yeah, thank you.
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> that summed it up.
0: Yeah, uh, Mike underscore McGann is uh, is his handle, and uh, Mike, we'll look forward to your picks on uh, in Friday's uh, on Friday's uh, web page and then Saturday's paper. And uh, enjoy.
2: Yeah, I, I will. I'm really looking forward to the Travis. I mean, the undercard stuff. That's you know, you you wish it was. In a perfect world, you'd have like a ton of, you know, real hardcore contenders for some of these races, but, you know, I, I don't. Six Horse Field and Personal Ensign on Friday. I'm really, really looking forward to Nest and Clarier go at it. I mean, you know, Gunite against Elite Power should be a really fun race. Um, So the the fields are going to be on the short side. But, you know, again, I make that boxing card reference. It's going to be kind of cool to see these, you know, the two best horses in each one of these, you know, how that matchup shakes out. It's not going to be a match race, of course, where there's only two horses on the track. But it's definitely... Clearly, two that are the ones to beat in, in a bunch of these uh, really good stakes races this weekend.
0: All right, Mike. Thanks. We'll look forward to your commentary next week on uh, the, at the track and Mac.
2: All right. Thanks for having me. I'm Ken. Right. Good luck, everybody. All right,
0: that's Mike Adam coming up. We'll look back at the life of Buffalo Sabres broadcaster Rick Jenneret with uh, Joe Yerden of NotedHockey.com. You're listening to the Parting Shots
2: podcast. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's
1: a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you.
2: Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette.
1: It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers.
2: The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do.
0: Hi, this is Daily Gazette deputy director of content Adam Schindler. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Get up The
1: lap one, Kane, he gets tripped up. Gets
0: the call of Buffalo Sabres broadcaster Rick Generette on Brad May's overtime game-winning goal against the Boston Bruins to complete a sweep in the 1993 Stanley Cup Adams Division semifinals. Generette lost uh, the longtime voice of the Sabres, died last week at the age of 81. Joining me to re- reflect on Generette's career is our good friend Joe Yordan, who covers the Sabres for NotedHockey.com. Joe, when you hear that Brad May call there, what do you think of
1: it? Oh, man. I... That's, uh see, that call's fascinating because that was, that was like a, I mean, not early memory for me because that did, that happen what, 92, 91?
0: 93, 93, yeah.
1: 93, so yeah, I was 14, yeah, 14 years old, but I remember, remember that game being on TV locally, uh, I had the, what, ESPN, maybe WSPK? M- Empire Sports Network, those?
0: it was the Empire Sports Network in this area
1: well uh, Maybe in Schenectady, <laughs> Troy did not have the Empire <laughs> for whatever no, actually, reason we, the Empire we Sports have, network yeah. didn't
0: We didn't have empires like I think 95 96.
1: Okay. Yeah, cuz we never had it in yeah. in Albany. Like never never once which was insane, but I I think that probably helps why uh, Rangers games are una- or uh, Sabres games are unavoidable on MSG now cuz Yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it is, but um but I, I want to say it was on ESPN. It had to have been, and we didn't hear Jenneret's call until it had to be the post game or Sports Center that night or something like that. And it's like, whoa, what? Like, what a call! Like, what? Like, just an unbelievable, just an unreal call. Like, it just of, you know, of anybody who could have scored that goal, like an overtime winner, series winner it's Brad May. You know, like a guy who's just not scoring goals. He's, he's you know, he's fighting people. He's, he's you know, especially a series of the Bruins. Like, he's fighting everybody. But like, he's the one who scores it. And Jenneret just gives a, it's just a perfect call. It's a perfect call. And it's an all-timer. And it's, I mean, it's one of, geez so many you know 10s 20s thir- you know hundreds of calls of his that it's just it sticks with you and you know i mean i've been here since 2013 and i mean there haven't been quite as many memorable calls here i mean you know there's a there's a couple that stick out but i mean just the whole legacy of everything that he that he did uh here calling games and you know there is it, it's just you know it was such a major presence in this area. I mean he's he's you know he was like everybody's he was like everybody's favorite I don't want to say dad. He wasn't he wasn't have like that dad persona, but he was everybody's best friend. And he just happened to be the guy that called the games and he happened to be the guy that everybody loves. And anytime there was a big moment and you know even if it was a regular season game with a wild situation or a crazy moment you're like what did rick say you have to you know, like you had to listen you had to find the highlight to, to see what rick said about it because it was worth it it was always worth it and you know mayday though like it just i mean that's a it's a kind of an early high not early highlight for me but it's it's a big one it's just it's such a it's such an incredible moment and that whole series like that whole play i mean it's it's typical buffalo cuz like that that playoff round that playoff year for for the sabers should have been a big one that should have been a huge playoffs for them and just that ended up being the the, the big the big moment because everything fell apart in the next round against Montreal because everybody got injured and just weird stuff happening. Grant fear wasn't very good and you know, the whole nine yards. But that moment that will that will live forever. You know, and I mean geez, you forget how it even happened against the Bruins. It was just such it was such a Sabers, great Sabres moment.
0: And the fact I mean if you, 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 you ever ever highlights up on YouTube you watch it, the defenseman he beat was Ray Bork. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: that's, that's the thing. You know, it's goals like that. And, you know, I'm sorry to bring this up to you, Kenny, but I mean, I, it reminds me of Darren McCarty in 97 in game four against Philly, where it's just this magic moment from somebody you don't expect at all coming out of nowhere and it's an it's an all-time highlight I mean McCarty scoring in the cup final against Philly is not a does not is not anywhere near the pantheon of goals that Brad May's Mayday goal is but it's one of those it's one of those things that just it it really makes hockey because it's just something that can happen out of nowhere and you're like wow what like what a moment and yeah Ray Bork getting his getting his doors blown off by Brad May in the playoffs (laughs) is incredible
0: yeah because that year the Bruins finished first the Adams division the Sabres were Fourth, that was also the final year of those divisions being named Patrick, Adams, Smythe, and Nars. Yeah, uh, that was that was the end of a, a glorious era. That uh, you know that the, the only sport that had names that were not geographical names. That was that was you know harking back to those days. And you you listen to the crowd. It was that was at the audit. The Buffalo Auditorium. It was, it was your fans were on top of you. It was a smaller ice surface, and to hear that call and the foghorn going off, it's just you, you, even if you're not a Sabres fan, you can't help but just feel the energy and the excitement for that from that call and the uh, and the excitement from the fans.
1: Yeah, and. The the other another part of that highlight that gets me is that one of the first people on top of May after he scores it is Dominic Ashik, yeah, who was a goal. Like he, he was the first guy down the ice on top, on top of May after scoring that because he was. I forget if he had subbed in that game or if he was like a pinch hit starter that game for for Buffalo, but either way, he was in net and he's the first guy. He's the first guy on top of May after he scores that goal. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, the, the the whole atmosphere. That big regret for me is that I never made it to the odd. Anytime, anytime I made it to a game in Buffalo it was always you know the, the current arena, whatever whatever name it was, Marine Midland, you know, first night, whatever it was,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. uh, it was always, it was always there, never made it to the odd, but it's got the, the, the countless stories, and the highlights and the pictures and everything you've seen in the audits. It was just one of those, those, those all time buildings like Boston garden, like, you know, like the Chicago, like Chicago Stadium, all these places, the forums, it was, I mean, it was specifically like a hockey theater, and just ah god there's there's a photo that's on the press level in buffalo of i want to say it's tony mckegney and it's like a perfect shot where you're 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 looking like kind of up at mckegney while he's standing on the ice and you see like the upper reaches of the odd and it's got that old architecture and everything about it it's a beautiful picture and it's but like that's how all those old barns were man you know the maple leaf gardens every single one of these places just had like you know, it had that history, it had the legacy, but it also had a look to it. Every single one of them had a look on the inside, which is kind of weird for for a building. You know, nowadays, I mean, everything kind of looks the same on the inside. But all these places had a, had a distinct look to them and a, and a
0: feel, and they all had a life. They all had a lifeline to it, a, a heartbeat. Yeah, because I grew up in you know, Philadelphia, going the games, Flyers games at the Spectrum. Uh, then mm-hmm. you know, how intimidating that was for opposing teams coming in. Um, you know, the Flyers and Sabers ended up playing the finals in '75. The Flyers prevailed. Um, and of course, was that memorable? That series was memorable for the fog game in Game Three in Buffalo, which Brendan yep. Robert ended up scoring against Bernie Perron. Bernie never saw the puck go between his legs, and I had a great call on that one. Well, of course, yeah, Jenneret also with the when Pat Lafonte played there, there was la 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 fontaine oh, yeah. and then in the Game we go into overtime. We're going to overtime time so yeah yeah it's
1: just
0: uh, i mean i've never met the man i mean you've you've, you've had i think you've had a chance to meet be, be around rick right what was it like
1: oh plenty. yeah what was he like he was he was he was just as affable a guy as it, as it is um you know i you know getting to know a guy like that that has so much history i mean he called sabers games for you know 50 51 years which is just, i mean it's unbelievable it's ernie harwell type of you know legacy when you're talking about play-by-play voices i mean it's you know it's you know it's mel allen it's you know all those baseball voices that did that did games for years you know vince scully everybody like the, rick had that for hockey and that doesn't happen a whole lot in hockey i mean nowadays it never happens now let's let's be let's be honest It yeah. just <laughs> you know jobs turn over like crazy that's that's the way the business goes and that's really unfortunate because the. Because you get somebody who has a history with a team like that, that builds the community, it builds the fan base, it builds people together. Um, And for Rick, like, you would have never known that, you know, he had that sort of feel to him. By being around him, like you, there's you know, it's for me, it was a little different because I, you know, I'd known, you know, heard his calls for ages, heard his calls forever. By the time I'm showing up, I'm some you know, some Yahoo that wrote on the internet and you know, was showing up, showing up to write more on the internet about the team, and the team wasn't very good. So, uh, but Rick had you know, he had the history, you know, and a whole 06 07 run that Buffalo had. I mean every game the sabers were winning you were you were looking for Rick's call you know you you wanted to hear what Rick what Rick's call was going to be after some of those memorable games and um but you know there was that respect to him because you know he's got the history he's you know he's the man um but like he didn't you know it wasn't like an air of arrogance about him there wasn't like that you know you sort of fall at your you know fall at your knees and you know out you know bow to the king kind of thing with him there was none of that it was just just Rick, he just roll you know, in for the game and say, Hello, Rick, how you doing? Oh doing good and he always had a one liner, always a one liner. He would just, you know, as dry as anything, which you know, getting to know Harry Neal over the years Harry Harry's at Harry's at most of the games those two were uh those two uh called games together in Buffalo for a few years after Harry was off of uh must say on hockey night Canada but um but Harry joined Rick for a few years behind the mic for, for Sabres games and my goodness i i don't know i don't know how those two guys were able to get through games together because they're both so quick and they're both so funny and you know sometimes jokes are a little off color definitely stuff you wouldn't be able to use in the air that's for sure but um but you know it was just you know you had to be ready you had to be ready for his anger, you had to be ready for uh you know for something because he just had he always had something yeah. and you know uh, you know guys like that it's just it's You know, you want them to be sharp. You want them to be on their game all the time. And geez, I mean, he certainly was. I mean, you know, you you get to be 80 years old. It's tough to be on your game, period. Uh, But when the when the mic was on, the cameras were rolling, and the game was going, man, you were were ready to go.
0: Yeah, of course, he wasn't doing much traveling toward the end of his career there. I mean, but but still, he'd be able to do home games and. uh, yeah, for the fans. I mean, I mean, they've had Van Miller at the Buffalo Bills for a long time there, and you know, to lose another legend like that, it's got to be rough on, on Buffalo sports fans.
1: Yeah, and you know what? The, the funny thing about Rick, and I had a friend of mine tell me that you know when he, when he was younger, he went to to get something signed by Rick, where you know, it was a program or a picture or something like that. And he asked him to sign up, you know, voice of the Sabers, and he goes, he goes, oh no, I, no, I that's not me they go, what do you mean? It's not you? And he goes, no, that's Ted Darling. And he, you know, for the longest time, he deferred to Ted Darling as, as the main, you know, the main man in Sabres history as, the, as the voice of the team. You know, and, and, you know, I think Ted was doing TV and, and Rick was doing radio or vice versa. And, you know, Ted did that for so long. I mean, the press box is named after Ted Darling. I, so imagine, something on the press level is going to get Rick's name emblazoned on. I mean, he's got his name in the rafters. I mean. You, how many? How many play-by-play people get a banner, you know? Period in any sport, anywhere, where they're you know where their name's retired or you know they're honored in such a way. I mean, Ernie Harwell, probably. That's about, that's about it. Maybe Mel Allen might have a monument
0: down a, down a Yankee Stadium. That's, that's about it that I can think of. Vince Vin has got to have something, but yeah, no. Gene Hard. Um, Gene Hard. The Flyers has is in the Flyers yeah. Hall of Fame. He's, uh, his name's up in the Raptors
1: yeah so i mean it's very few very few people that get that kind of honor but but but, i mean that's that's the kind of it's the kind of guy rick was where you know he was just very he was humble you know i mean he was obviously an extremely confident person he i mean he knew he was he knew he was good he knew it was he was he was the guy that people wanted to listen to but he wasn't gonna go running around and putting that out front of everybody you know Everybody, you know, telling tell everybody they got to kiss the ring before the meet.
0: It was not about Rick. Yeah, uh, Joe Yordan joining us here on the uh, Parting Shots podcast. And the one thing that w- with Rick and uh, you know, all over the last, uh, I know at least from uh, watching games here locally on, M- on MSG and before that Empire. He was simulcasting. They, they, he was also the voice on the radio. So it's, yeah, it, it, and that's a rarity. I, I know, growing up in Philadelphia, that was the way the Flyers did it with Gene Hart and Don Earl. They would uh, simulcast yeah. the uh, TV broadcast on the radio when on the road games. Uh, so he's he's got to do a play-by-play like he's on the radio and not and it'd be a TV descriptor. And, and and that's that's kind of a tough tough job to do. And he pulled it off.
1: Yeah and you, you know what I think the key part of that is having a color having a color analyst that that can that can help dial that in a little bit I mean he's had he's had Rob Ray with him now for gosh I don't know how long you know maybe 10 15 you know ever since ever since Rob retired I think basically uh he's he's been by Rick's side and you know Rob's Rob's been Rob's done a pretty good pretty good job there of both trying to keep up with Rick and and you know try to try to not step on his toes and all that but but when you're calling it for both yeah it, I, I, I can't imagine trying to do it now. We 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 had to do it in college, but we were also um, you know we were uh, any TV games that we did in college were being taped so it didn't matter. We were calling it for radio first, and then TV got TV got second got second um, second billing for that. But doing it now, where both things are being carried live, you got to keep uh, you, you got to try to keep one of them in mind and, and not make it redundant for TV, but also make it not. You know, undescriptive for radio too, because you know so much of what you can see with your eyes isn't is you know you you don't want to you don't want to overstate everything and make everything you know kind of too busy when you're when you're calling a game. But I don't know, Rick. I don't know that the classic play-by-play guys were able to to, just, to to talk about the game and describe the game in a way that whether you were watching it or you're listening it, you had it, you knew what was going on. Like it, the the theater of the mind was was active and accurate for, for how you were, how you, how you were viewing it. If you were just hearing it or for what he was saying as you're watching it, like it, it was, it, it, it takes a very special talent to be able to, to pull that off. And Rick's Rick certainly had that. I mean, that's, that's the thing when you know if i was traveling you know if i wasn't traveling and if i was you know i was out someplace and the games on the radio like i'm listening to it and i know it's for tv too like you can you, know, you can always tell the commercial breaks that things are getting a little bit you know squirrely with with how it works but uh, but as he's describing it like it's you know it's as if you're watching it too even if you're in the middle of driving it's it's it takes an immense amount of talent to be able to do that
0: yeah. Have uh, the Sabres uh announced any plans how they're going to re- honor uh, his memory like with patches on their jerseys or on the ice or anything like that?
1: Uh they haven't they haven't said anything yet. I imagine there's going to be a patch on the jersey. I imagine there's going to be something on the ice. Um I imagine there's going to be a sticker on the helmet. They 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 they're not going to we're going to go the full nine with with everything to honor him. I mean, uh, you know, the, his final year of uh, you know when he was hanging it up at the was it two years ago, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, when he when he decided, you know, was calling it a career. You know, they went all out the whole year. You know, you know, with you know looking back on his career and doing all that. I imagine it's going to be no different with the team this year. It's going to be it's going to be something that's going to be at the front of all the players' mind. The players love him. That's I think that's the biggest thing about Rick is that. You know, sometimes play-by-play guys can like kind of fall into the background with the team that was not the case with rick the players loved him absolutely loved the guy and they respected him immensely so he's he's gonna be at the front of their thoughts as you know as the season goes on i know i know they've been trying like hell <laughs> the last 10 15 years now to try to get back to the playoffs to get rick that one you know one more playoff one more playoff to call and you know he's not going to be able to do it now but uh, they, they certainly want to, you know, they, they're going to want to get there now to 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 kind of, you know, to honor him and get it back to that, get back to that point and you know, it, it'll be bittersweet whenever they do back to the to the playoffs because he won't be there, but they're going to want to do it to uh, to honor him now.
0: Yeah, well, Joe, I appreciate a few minutes looking back at the uh, career and life of Rick Jennerette. Uh he's, He will he will be missed. There, unfortunately, I mean, like, there's a there's the dying breed of these uh, legendary broadcasters. It's, I mean, I don't know if we identify with some of these modern guys today. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, for, for me, the Phillies, the, the Scott Fransky, right now, I think you know, is probably the one guy that yeah, you know, I think a lot of at least Philadelphia sports fans really enjoy. Meryl Reese, of course, I maybe mean, he's old school with the Eagles, but I mean, it's it's a different era now. I mean, I it's i don't know if you have those I- iconic figures anymore
1: yeah i mean geez, I, all I ever, whenever it's philly i think of charlie you know charlie callus
0: uh, harry Callis.
1: or harry callus excuse me i <laughs> know where charlie's coming from harry callus i mean god i mean but he was i think more nfl films than i do philly which is unfair to, to, the, to the eagles and the phillies it's I mean, just what a voice there but i, so I, I think now what john sterling John Sterling and Susan Wallman might be might be it. And John Sterling I know more from doing Braves and Atlanta sports back in the day. I mean he's,
2: but he's been doing Yankee stuff for what, twenty five years now? It's crazy. At
0: least, yeah. So yeah. So All right, Joe, appreciate it. thanks again. And as we'll get closer to uh, the start of the season, we'll talk some Sabres hockey.
1: Yeah, it's just only be a few more weeks now, Kenny. The clock's
0: ticking down. I know, and of course, uh, Travers, We just talked about that earlier here in the podcast. Travers six. Uh, that usually means the start of the uh, fall sports season, right now. So. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's coming. The, the the cool
2: weather's
1: already started up, so it's uh, nature's ready.
0: Yeah. Well, Joe, again, appreciate it. a few minutes. Thanks again.
1: Yeah, you got it, Kenny. Thank you.
0: That's uh, Joe Yard. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette Autoration Contest in just a moment.
2: If you really want to know what's going on in the community,
0: you have to read the Daily Gazette.
2: We don't take a side. We're right down the middle,
0: and we're gonna get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity. From the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google App Stores.
1: Hi, this is ECAC Hockey Commissioner and Union Hockey alum Doug Christensen. You're listening to
0: the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Shaw. Back to wrap up the
1: podcast.
0: The Week 25 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Richard Bellinger of Johnstown with 60 points. Richard wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Richard. The VIP winner was Scott Lusher of Capital Land GMC with 10 points. I'll announce the Auto Racing Contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike Begadam and Joe Yurden for coming on the show. Next week, sportscaster Kenny Albert, the voice of the NHL on TNT, as well as the Rangers on the radio, and calls the NFL and Major League Baseball for Fox Sports, he'll join me to discuss his new book, A Mic for All Seasons, by three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and the Olympics. I have read his book. It's a great book, and I suggest you uh, pre-order it. uh, So we'll talk to Kenny about that book. Looking forward to talking to him as well. Also next week, I'll preview the Union College football season as the Garnet Chargers. That's going to be tough to get used to. They open their season next Saturday at Hilbert. I'll have interviews with new head coach John Poppy and several players. Please tune in. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at DailyGazette.com. Follow me on Twitter. I mean X and also threads at Slapshots. And that's something I can't get used to saying X over Twitter. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.